You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Good morning. It's December 5th, Saturday, and you've got Mark, Caitlin, Patrick, and Howard coming to you live from well, you have the toothless Mark Alderman coming live from Pennsylvania. Patrick, live from Illinois. I am live in Bethesda, Maryland. And Caitlin, as usual, guys, the only smart one coming live from Florida. I'm telling you, things are feeling a little normal down here. I am sure. Well, let's let's start here this morning. Let's each grade the Biden transition. And and explain why we're giving them the grade we're giving them. And Mark, we know you're giving him an A plus, but I'm going to start with you nonetheless. I'm going to give him a straight just to change it up a little from your prediction. I hate it when you're right, Howard. But I give him an A for a couple of reasons. One is that most of the transition has taken place outside of the ordinary transition process. And I think they get a very high grade for the workaround that they've been doing since we all know this is not normal. I also think that the quality of his appointment so far has been uh, very good, deserves a very good grade because of of really two things. Uh, Experience. He is bringing in people who have done this before and they are ready to govern. And he is striking the best balance he can given the progressive push in the party, given the likely Republican Senate that has to confirm his picks. So I'm going with with a straight A for the president-elect. Okay, flip to the other side of the aisle, Caitlin. I'm going to give him a B. Um, I do agree. It's been a really smooth rollout. It's been a very professional process. Um, I think he is doing a good job, as we discussed on our last call, of trying to pick folks. You know, he's in a, he's in a tough position. He's got the progressives pushing for super far left folks that he knows are not going to get confirmed through a Mitch McConnell Senate. Um, and he's trying to also really focus on picking candidates that look like the rest of America and having one of the most diverse cabinets in American history. And I think, you know, I don't love everyone that he's come out with. I think the uh, OMB pick with Neera Tandon is going to have a really difficult time um, getting confirmed. But I think as a whole, I I would give him a B. Patrick. That a B. I can't give him an A, Mark. Come on. We said the exact same thing, and I gave him an A, and you gave him a B. I've got well, I, I do admit I'm not the toughest grader. I got fired from a teaching job once over that, so fair enough. Patrick. I, I was sure Caitlin was going to give him a C, and then I would be able to easily come in with a B. But So now that Caitlin gave a B, I'll, put, I'll say like a B plus, A minus, uh, 90%. I, I think... You know, look, I think he's picked some really smart, experienced, well-qualified people uh, who are going to do a great job, people he's known a long time. Um, 
you know, but he is, as, as we saw this week with some of the appointments that still have not been announced, he is, and he and his team are struggling because they do have to meet the demands of a party uh, and a base that is increasingly diverse and demanding diversity uh, amongst key appointments and giving sort of lip service to diversity is is just not going to be enough in kind of the modern day Democratic Party. So you're seeing the holdup on uh, attorney general and Department of Defense and some of the back and forth over HHS and interior. All of this, uh, there's an underlying tone of making sure that these appointments check boxes with certain groups that are key Democratic constituencies. And that is just a challenge as he is trying to fill out his government and make sure that uh, everyone feels like they're getting sort of fair representation. So I'm going to give him an A, but for an altogether different reason than the three of you are, are talking about him. And that is that I think he's in an unusually difficult position of actually having to be president before he's president. I think when when I was making the transition from Bush to Obama in 2008, Rahm Emanuel came out and said, you know, we won't own the crisis until it's ours to own. And, and Obama, although he had been very good about communicating with the Bush administration, particularly Hank Paulson with respect to the financial crisis, look, I think very typically incoming presidents don't try to be in the job before they actually own the job because that's a very difficult political position to be in. I think Biden knows that there's a leadership deficit in the country right now. And I think he is very artfully walking a very challenging line in in looking presidential and acting presidential and actually bringing some leadership to the table where there's just simply a deficit and and that's it's politically perilous it's it's challenging from a from an optics point of view and i just think i think he's doing a very good job in a very difficult spot so yeah, that's I, my uh that's my grade well i i agree and just to supplement that uh, i was texting earlier this week with uh a former White House chief of staff, I'll, I'll have to leave it there. But he said that he thinks that the hand that Biden's been dealt is the most difficult of any incoming president in our lifetime. And that's what you're saying, Howard, the extraordinary need to govern before being sworn in is just unprecedented. And and a, a tough hand, not a lot of great cards to play. But but we can agree on, on an A for for the job done so far. I'm guessing that wasn't Wright's previous, Mark. Uh, who who was that? I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't recognize that name. Is he so, on Dancing with the Stars or is that a different guy? So Caitlin, which guy's on Dancing with the Stars? That's former press secretary Sean Spicer. Oh, thank you. Okay, I get them confused. So let's go here. The Trump factor. We just did. Well, yeah, we did to some extent, but aren't politically, uh, policy-wise, and and not all, not everything 
that Trump has done has is is going away. Um, there there's a lot that's staying. There's a lot that's going to stay. Let's talk about why um, whether Trumpism is is here to stay. And Patrick, let why don't why don't you start us off? Yeah. So two things. I want to pick up on something we just said and 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 then sort of go into this point. One is to, to your point about just the extraordinary circumstances. I mean, it's incredible how we've sort of moved the lines of acceptability as it relates to our incumbent president and his exit. I mean, we've come to expect this type of stuff out of Donald Trump, but it doesn't make it any less unbelievable that uh, you have still sort of a refusal to concede that all of these sort of norms that we've seen over the last, you know, uh, hundred years or more, uh, just aren't happening. And it's extraordinary. And, you know, you just, it's always, you play the game. If, if you had a democratic president, if, if Barack Obama had lost to Mitt Romney and was refusing to concede, people would be lighting their hair on fire. And it's just, Please. it is, it makes it no less, extraordinary, even if it's predictable. But to your direct question, Howard, we've become desensitized. We to totally it. have. We've become completely desensitized. Now, I was going back and looking at one term presidents as they've left office, sort of how did they lose? Uh, what was their political viability when they've left office? And with the exception of probably Grover Cleveland, you cannot find a president who was not reelected, who is leaving office with the type of political viability that Donald Trump is. And that that is for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of times when one term presidents have have not been reelected, they choose, regardless of how close the election was, to sort of end their political career and go off into whatever their retirement looks like. That doesn't look like it's going to be the case here. Uh, and also because he outperformed with so many groups that Republicans had been struggling with, he leaves office with uh, tremendous support within his own party. So we've sort of gotten used to a one-term president leaving office and, and kind of moving on to the next thing. I think we're in for a period that we haven't experienced before in modern politics. And I think it's going to leave a lot of uh, big questions for the next four years. Yeah, there's no question. Look, the the guy lost by eighty thousand four states by eighty thousand votes during a global pandemic. I mean, it's not like he he lost. Joe Biden's the next president. Um, he, he won by a similar margin four years ago. So it's not like it's it's just the the mirror image of of four years ago, but. Just as a data point, it, it's the mirror image in the electoral college. It is hardly the mirror image in the popular vote. No, but Mark, don't play the popular vote game because you know where people, you know, it's good that, Caitlin, we have an advantage today because Mark's experiencing some te technical difficulties still. <laughs> he needs to lean in, but maybe he should lean out. Um, and we can just talk over him. We have an advantage today. Um, Mark, don't play the popular vote game because you know people campaign based on the Electoral College. And that's just I, that's just a side note. Seven million votes. I will say, I will say everyone is talking about how with President Trump leaving office with political viability within his own party, uh that he is hamstringing the Republican nomination process in four years. 
He's also holding up the Democratic <laughs> nominating process in four years, because if he decides to run again, Joe Biden is not going to leave the party to fend for themselves uh, if he's in reasonable health and, and you know, the country's in a pretty good place. So it begs the question, just as you're trying to play this out, what's more likely in four years, a rematch of Trump Biden or two completely different candidates at the top of the ticket? I think it's a... Genuinely, open Caitlin, there's there are many vulnerable Republicans up in or open seats like in Pennsylvania in the Senate in 22. Do you think Trump factors into to those races? What, what do we what do you expect? I think he absolutely does. But one thing I want to say, um, you know, being outside of the Beltway at the moment, being in real America and Florida, and I don't want to wade too far down this, but you know, Donald Trump did get 74 million votes from Americans. And there are still a lot of disenfranchised voters, maybe not inside of the Beltway and in some of our big city centers that have real questions about this election. And that's not going to go away. And I don't want to dispute and get, I fully contend that Vice President Biden is our president-elect. But this issue of those 74 million voters that voted for Trump and that are, you know, that came out and that were energized and that were really engaged over the past four years, that's certainly not going to go away. And the Republican Party is absolutely going to have to contend with that. And there is a lot of frustration and a lot of anger and a lot of question and a lot of confusion um, among a lot of those folks. And I think you're absolutely right, Howard, that's going to play a big role in 2022. I think for people like Current Vice President Pence who and, and Nikki Haley and some of our future um, Republican presidential contenders, they're in sort of this bizarre limbo that we haven't seen before where um, they're thinking through as, as Trump's speaking with donors this week and speaking on calls, talking about mounting another run in 2024. I don't think this element is going to go away anytime soon. No, it... It clearly isn't, but I do think you have to distinguish between the man and and the party. Right now, they seem to be fused and, and to be one. But Donald Trump's future as an individual is one thing, and, and very viable, of course. The 74 million Republican votes or votes- Not just Trump, Republican- Votes for Trump. Of course, those those people are not going away and are a tremendous factor. It's a deeply divided country. And to Howard's question about Trumpism, Trumpism is going to go the way of Donald Trump. And that is to be determined. But the Republican Party, whether led by Trump or Haley or Rubio or whomever, represents half the country. And that is a very significant political fact that is not changing for a long time. But that's, Mark, I mean, first of all, the Republicans won the election as a whole. It's just the Trump loss, which is obviously enormously significant, but... Which Howard has, does have a big question mark for a lot of people. Yeah, okay. Um and as long as we're interrupting you, subject to Georgia, but I think the the answer will be the same on January fifth. But we should let Georgia vote for the two senators. So, so Mark, does it does it offend you that Biden 
is going to carry forward a number of Trump's signature policy items? Oh, of course not. A, a good idea is a good idea. And some of Trump's policies were good ideas. We've talked about that before. The Mideast, I think, the Middle East has been more a good idea than not. China, although it has been done in an ineffective, uh, euphemistically, I'll say, manner, has been a good idea. And, And a good idea is not offensive simply because it originated elsewhere, although the Republicans didn't agree with that with the individual mandate as a footnote, which was their idea until it came from somebody else. But no, no, good ideas are going to be continued. And and as you have pointed out before, in a number of areas, Joe Biden looks more like uh, Trump policies than he does like AOC policies. Drug pricing. Mark, you right. spend a lot of time on health care. Yes. Yes, drug pricing. Trump is handing Joe Biden a day one gift. He he may not leave a letter in his desk, in the resolute desk. He may. Uh, Yeah, it may have a middle finger. It may be something else. (laughs) It may just be two words, but there may be a two word letter left. (laughs) Maybe he'll light it on fire. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But drug pricing, he's he's handing him a gift. Um, an executive order-driven mandate to lower drug prices that Biden's going to pick up and run with. So that's why I say you have to distinguish between the the man and the policies. Joe Biden will be antithetically opposite Donald Trump in style, in tone, in in behavior which is about the man, and he will be in agreement with some of what was done over the last four years as a substantive matter. And Patrick, you and I have both spent time in the executive branch. Uh, In terms of the bureaucracy, this to me, I mean, every time we handle a client matter, we are... We come at it from from multiple perspectives. What do the careers think? What do the politicals think? What do the relevant folks on Capitol Hill think? And, you know, we always go top down, bottom up and sideways um, as far as approaching, as far as thinking through how to approach an issue. The bureaucracy is extremely important. I served in both Republican and Democratic administrations, and the bureaucracy is no less friend, no more friendly to the Democrats than it is to the Republicans once they're in office. So how does Biden deal with the bureaucracy? Because every everything I keep reading is, oh, Biden will reinvigorate the this agency and that agency and the EPA and what do you think about that? Yeah, you're right. Amongst uh, political appointees, you you always hear the phrase, both in state and federal government, that career employees are referred to as as weebies. We be here when you come, and we be here when you're gone. <laughs> and they they play a enormous role in how long it takes policy to get executed in the systems of government that are set up. Uh, 
you know, to, to either slow, to slow things down or the, the, to your, the core of what you're asking though, I think what the Biden folks are talking about is some of it is morale, uh, at the agencies. I think they're going to spend a lot of time trying to make career civil servants feel like they matter and their work matters. Uh, and that they're not sort of the enemy and the deep state and all this type of stuff. But Joe Biden's going to be returning to a very different federal government than when he uh, left office as vice president. And I think we're going to have to see what type of real permanent stamp the Trump administration had on getting a, getting rid of a lot of these positions on sort of changing the fabric of these agencies. But, but Howard, you're right. I mean, Democrats uh, struggle with, career civil servants too, oftentimes because they want to push their policy priorities quickly. Yeah. Uh, and the instruments of, of federal bureaucracy slow that down. And that's immensely frustrating. I, I remember the rulemaking process during Obamacare. It was constantly, we want this done yesterday. That's not how it works. And I think, um, Caitlin, let me ask you if, if maybe we agree on something else here, but a lot of the career public servants that you're talking about, Howard and Patrick, spent eight years working on certain initiatives and policies that were eliminated with the stroke of a pen in the Trump administration. They are still there. They are still committed to what they have been working on for a decade. And I, I just don't think this idea that Things are going to change only a little. Look at the EPA and look at the CAFE standard. I keep using this as, as my favorite example. It's coming back. It's coming back with the stroke of a pen. It's coming back as one of the first things he does. And it is deeply supported by the career staff at EPA. They worked on it for eight years. That doesn't mean they support it, Mark. I mean, and, and they don't really care. All they care about is the fact, I think Patrick said it well, we'd be here when you come and we'd be here when you're gone. They care. They're not risk takers. And they're, yeah, they do what they're told on some level. But I, Mark, there's no like burning desire inside the EPA to reinstitute the cafe standards. That's it's not it's not the laws of nature when it's just this is it's it's that's not the way the bureaucracy thinks in my opinion well what do you think Caitlin? I'm, I'm looking for uh, another vote here is it is this another three to one issue well all I'll say as I'm sitting here thinking you know that this in itself is is why a lot of folks have an issue with the bureaucracy because they're unelected with a lot of power and you know, administration to administration, they are the, the, the wheels of government that are still there and keep on turning. But um, I think that's that's the question. You know, voters went to the polls and voted and, and there's a frustration when there's the disconnect between what's happening at the bureaucratic level. And that's, you know, President Trump has dealt with that for four years. Yeah, and all the noise at the top and look, the tone at the top in the last four years has been horrific, in my opinion. But the shaking up the bureaucracy a little bit hasn't been. And I think by this is 
one of Biden's greatest challenges because if he reinvigorates that, I totally look, I've been the bureaucracy. I get how the sausage gets made, and I think it is critically important. Why you and Patrick even here? I don't think that's how you two served in your time in government. Well, I was career before I became political. Yeah, that and I was political in, bo- in both didn't parties care until you became political. No, I cared, but but Mark, it's and I totally agree that you have to thank people for their service. You have to um, you have to wrap them in patriotic duty. They're public servants. They're serving the public. And, and that, the deep state and all that nonsense is, is missing. But if Biden reinvigorates the bureaucracy too much, he risks his own agenda. That's the point. That's the point. What are we telling our friends and clients who want to engage at this point with the new administration and want to have a voice in those policies that that are coming on January 20? I, I would say with a divided Congress and a new administration in incredibly divisive and partisan times, uh, knowledge of how the federal bureaucracy works is at a premium. And, you know, I, Howard, you mentioned some of the stuff we work on together. You, having navigated through multiple uh, administrations, understanding the things that stand the test of time, even through political transitions, that type of ability to get your clients in that process in the midst of all of the stuff that's on the news about, are they going to pass this piece of legislation? Are they not? Things are going to be happening behind those awful 1970s concrete walls in, in Washington, D.C. that clients need to, to get in on and companies need to be aware of. Caitlin. I complete. I completely agree, Patrick. I, I think that, you know, especially that that's the only way things are going to get done. And Biden is going to be able to carry through some of his campaign promises is through the regulatory process and through executive action and understanding that and knowing, you know, as Howard always says, personnel is policy, knowing who sits in those seats, not just at the top, not just in the secretary's office, but at the key within the agencies and and getting to know those folks is going to be crucial, um, particularly for some of those more left-leaning policies that Biden has pledged to commit to. We're doing it all day, every day with our clients. It's what are your corporate priorities? What are your, what are your risks? And taking a look at those in light of where we know, because we do know where things are headed from a, from a policy point of view, and we know what's changing, Mark, and what isn't changing. To, to our last discussion, there's a lot that's, there's plenty that's not changing. And some are, the, those are some of the most interesting conversations we're having, where clients kind of sit up and say, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Like, you mean Biden's going to continue on with the Trump policy on trade? Yeah, he is. He's not rolling back the tariffs. He may have a different way of, interacting with Xi Jinping, but he's not rolling them back day one. He can't. He can't afford to look weak relative to the Republicans. So, Agreed. And 
Uh, on many matters, that's certainly true. On many, it's not. I just think there is a, a slight overstatement of the more things change, the more things remain the same. There's going to be a lot of change and a lot of things that don't. But to the point, Howard, of the work we're doing with clients, and Caitlin and I are, are working on this in real time, one of the most important things I think that anyone who wants to engage can possibly do is to settle on a message, settle on what it is they want to communicate. And, and that is something that, that we are talking all day, every day with people about. Yeah. And speaking their language too, Mark, I think, you know, we've been working with clients and, and, and matching their priorities with quite literally mirroring some of the, the Trump and, and Harris um, campaign's priorities and ensuring that we're going to these folks during the transition and having these conversations early. It's so critical. So Mark's been saying this, Caitlin, you just mentioned a word that nobody's mentioned today, <laughs> Harris. <laughs> is it the biden harris administration she's pretty I keep saying that but she's pretty invisible it might be the harris biden administration in a couple of years so well it, it's been remarkable in listening in on so many of these discussions how you can get you know 55 minutes into an hour discussion of the biden harris administration before someone casually refers to the incoming vice president. It, it is because it is Biden administration. Look, one of the things, there's no question, and that's always the case. And this isn't the P Trump Pence administration, it's the Trump administration. Yeah. And Bush Cheney, which you're familiar with, Howard, Bush Cheney may have been a, an exception, but but it was the Obama administration, the Trump administration, and this is the Biden administration. Yeah, how, how, how much say was Dan Quayle getting on cabinet picks? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is just, if you have a president-elect who is of Washington, uh, like Joe Biden is, that's just the way it goes. And there, there isn't anything odd about that at all. By the way, it's also the way it goes in literally every federal agency, literally. Sure. You know, the head of the agency, the secretary runs the agency, the deputy, and I've seen it a thousand times. The deputy always wants to be the secretary. The deputy never has any power. I said to a friend of mine, you know, Janet Yellen's kind of a strange pick for Treasury because she's not really politically minded. And he was actually the chief of staff to a deputy. And he said, well, maybe for once they'll make a real deputy and actually give select somebody who has policy making or sorry, political instincts and give them a real job to do. And we, we quickly concluded that was not going to happen. Like that's one of the laws of nature in Washington. That's just the way it goes. Well, and, it's also why it's hard to talk about policy until, as you always say, Howard, until we know the personnel, until we know who the Secretary of Health and Human Services is and the administrator of CMS, you can talk generally about the direction the Biden administration will head, but the particulars are going to be driven by the secretary. Well, right, because, look, most, and, and of course, Mark, 
there will be a sea change from Trump to Biden. And I, I don't want to overstate the point that everything remains the same. Some big ticket items will remain the same. But obviously, Biden's a liberal. Trump is whatever he decides to be on any given day, and which is part of the point. But Trump, I mean, Biden will govern as a liberal, a liberal institutionalist, but but a liberal. And climate change is certainly one enormous agenda item that wasn't present during the Trump administration. But there are things like like Superfund, for example, and the EPA, where actually the Trump administration ramped up um, its activity relative to the Obama administration, arguably. So it's just it's just that you really have to, to your point, you really have to dig down and look at who the secretary is, because most of our client issues are not these macro, you know, climate change. Right. Right. Your deal is not something we're working on every day. Right. It's stuff in the, you know, depths of these agencies that impacts clients. That's like uber important, but anyway, to be by the way, one one last point on the Harris thing. She there will be a, a cabinet level uh, pick that that will be very clear that she had input over. You go back through our last several presidents. There's always you know Al Gore was responsible for Carol Browner um, at EPA. You know Cheney, Mark mentioned obviously had even outside say. Biden certainly got a little bit of input. So she'll, she'll if she's smart, and I'm sure her advisors are telling. Pick your spot, pick something that you want to ask for. And she will get, I am sure, some input on on probably one appointment, maybe, maybe two. Yeah, she's not irrelevant, and there will right. be plenty of her people in government. She's not irrelevant, but she's it's not her show to run, and nobody should be confused it's in that the, regard. The Seema Verma Exactly. Seema Verma as a great example. And, and the head of the head of CMS, the administrator yeah. of CMS, chosen by Mike Pence, former Indiana um, government official. I mean, the vice presidency is one of the strangest jobs in terms of what the actual scope of of work is. And it is the ultimate. You make it uh, what it is type of job. And, and it ends up just being based on you and your ability to influence uh, and be a counselor to the president and have uh, and gain power. And that will that will be uh, something we'll all be watching to see how she grows into that role. All right. Well, a toothless Mark Alderman, a micless. I think, Mark, the tooth might be impacting the microphone. I think it's a conspiracy. Could be. Could be. Yeah, you just don't want to count all the votes, Howard. You don't want to count those seven million plus votes for Biden. So but, I, uh, I see a conspiracy here. Well, thanks all. Uh, have a great weekend. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.